0: Hey, good morning, Northeast, and welcome to a new series called Relationship Reset. This year has radically changed a lot of things for us, but none more than relationships. Relationships are suddenly six feet apart. Maybe with some people that's okay, but with others we, we miss it. We suddenly can't tell if people are smiling or frowning. Like, literally, I have no idea how this is going right now for me. We find ourselves connecting now through screens instead of at coffee shops. We we're far from our friends, and, and and whereas before we had little escapes to movies or to the gym, now without those escapes, families and couples in particular are finally forced to confront the things that they've avoided at home. Let's face it: relationships relationally, things in this season have been sticky. Politics has us divided, distance has us discouraged. Dating took an absolute nosedive and the divorce rate in many communities has nearly doubled. It's no wonder then that we are desperate for hope. No wonder that we are desperate for a new beginning, for a new leaf, for some kind of new answer to all of these problems that we're facing. And that's what this series is about. As followers of Jesus, we believe the beauty of the gospel is in this thing we call grace. That God extends grace to us. Grace being a second chance, a mulligan if you're a golfer. A new beginning. A move from death to life, from darkness to light. Grace though, is not just this thing that God extends to us to forgive us of our sins. The same grace he uses to forgive us is the very grace he offers us to redeem and restore all things, including our relationships with one another. In a very real way, grace offers us a relationship reset. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at what God is offering us. We're going to look at God's wisdom for relationship. We're going to look at this opportunity that he's giving us in all of our relationships to see them rebuilt and restored and reset by his grace. This week, as we begin, we're going to look at Paul's words to a church that has questions about relationships. Singles are asking about marriage. The marrieds are asking about maybe going back to being single, and they're facing struggles. And in this, we're reminded that in a a world that constantly has us fixated and focused on relationships, where it wants us to treat relationships as both the problem and the solution to the things that we're facing, Paul says that the real issue is not a matter of your relational status. It's a matter of your spiritual one. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter seven. 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Paul writing to the church in Corinth and in the midst of this letter, he addresses their questions on relationships. It will be the groundwork for our series as we move forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's in the New Testament, two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through your Bible. If you don't have it open in front of you, pull it up on your smart device or watch the screen if you're at home and we'll put it on the screen for you to follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with me at verse 25. Paul writes, now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command for the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet, those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers, for the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Now just stop there with me. What on earth is Paul talking about? Paul's writing to this church in Corinth. Corinth is is a port city. It's in Greece. In fact, you can still visit Corinth to this day. And there in Greece, it sits overlooking the the beautiful sea. It it is a port city. It is the center of commerce and economics. It's the center of travel. It's the center of of the ancient world in many senses. It, It was the place to see. It was the place to go. It was the place to be. But Corinth was also an extremely pagan city. We associate ancient Corinth to modern-day Vegas. There's a lot of there that grabs your attention, but also a lot there that you don't really wanna write home about. In the midst of this, though, Paul had come and he had preached the gospel and he had planted a church and he'd seen people come to faith in the middle of Vegas. But following his departure, he continues this relationship, a discipling relationship with them by writing, by correspondence, we have two of those letters, First and 2 Corinthians, but there appeared to have been more because at some point the Corinthians had reached out to Paul asking him questions. In the midst of this letter then, Paul is seeking to correct them on issues that are confused and issues in the church, but he's also responding to questions that they've given him, including at the beginning of chapter seven. You see this at the beginning of chapter seven. He says, now concerning the matter's about which you wrote. And this begins a section in the book of Corinthians where Paul is addressing things that they're confused by, things that are concerning them, things that aren't working. And in this particular section, he addresses relationships. Concerning the things you wrote about, let me, let me wrestle with you and talk to you about the issue of marriage and singleness. And they're asking questions to Paul. Hey, should we stay married or or should we have stayed single? Is it better to be married? Is it better to be single? And and here's the deal. In that ancient church, they had come to faith and they're surrounded by this deeply pagan community. And you have some people who, who are coming into faith thinking, hey, this is gonna fix everything, only to realize that as they come to faith, they're still in the world. As they come to faith, like, There's still friction in my relationships. So they begin asking Paul these questions like, well, maybe it's better to be single. Then you have single people in the church that are finding it, hey, I'm just gonna focus on Jesus and forget all these problems. And the married people are like, well, that seems like a great idea. I'm sure you've got parents in this church who are looking out at this deeply pagan city, right? Vegas, Sin City, and like, I'm not sure I want my daughter marrying one of those guys. Honey, be best if you stayed single. They have all these questions about the outworking of faith on relationships. Which is better? Which is more holy? Which will work out better for our good? And in the midst of this, Paul then seeks to answer these questions. As we'll see in a minute, too, they're facing difficulty. This is a young church of young Christians, and they come to faith, and yet they realize that there's still struggle. And in the midst of this struggle, they're having these questions. But part of their problem is that in the midst of the struggle and in the midst of their questions, they're looking to physical relationships as though that is going to be a part of this spiritual solution. Hear me say that. The Corinthians are looking out at these physical relationships, trying to figure out if maybe these physical relationships and changing something in these physical relationships will somehow be a part of a spiritual solution. And oh, how often we get caught in that trap, do we not? But man, things are tough here, and so maybe this isn't right, and if I change this, then everything will be better. We fall into what I call the myth of easy. The myth of easy the myth that if I'm following God and pursuing God, then everything should be easy. The myth that if we have the right chemistry, if we share the same interest, if we share the same political views, everything should be easy. And suddenly when things aren't easy, we begin to question, God, is this right? God, does this need to change? And here you have the echoes of this in the church in Corinth. They're suddenly facing struggle. This is why Paul says in, in verse 26 here, I think that in view of the present distress, he's acknowledging there's a present distress. That, that phrase, present distress, distress literally means opposition or oppression. The church is facing an opposition. These young Christians, the world doesn't get them, the community doesn't get them, the culture doesn't get them, and many people are pushing back. He says, hey, in view of the present distress, The solution isn't to change your relational status. In fact, he says, in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Remain as you are. Sure, these young Christians are confused. God, I just committed my life to you, and now I'm struggling. God, I just committed my life to you, and everything is hard. Lord, do do I need to change something here? Do I need to fix something here? Paul's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Remain as you are. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. That's not the solution, he says. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek to be married. If you do marry, you have not sinned. Whew. Aren't you glad you came to get that message at church today? Hey, if you married, don't worry. You haven't committed a great sin. What is Paul talking about in this? Again, the question for the church in Corinth is that they were looking at these physical, earthly relationships, wondering if switching something here was gonna be some kind of spiritual solution. Solution to their soul, a solution to happiness, a solution with all the friction that they're suddenly feeling in life. And if I just fix things here or find someone that's more, more of a match for me, then maybe this will go better. It was the myth of easy. In contrast, Paul gives a really strange promise. Not only in verse 28 does he say, if you do marry, you have not sinned. He goes on and says, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Those who marry will have worldly troubles. I get you're facing a present distress. And the solution is not to bail on your marriage. The solution is not to go find a spouse as though that's gonna fix everything. The reality is, look, if you marry, you're gonna have troubles. I see people quote a lot of promises in scripture. I see a lot of church people post promises on their Facebook page. I get invited over to your home for dinner and I see you have a lot of promises on plaques above the mantle. I have yet to be in a home where anyone has stood this up and claimed this as their promise. (laughs) If you get married, you will have trouble. But but consider, consider Paul's language here. He doesn't mince words, does he? He doesn't say, if you get married, you know, it might be tough. He says, no, it will be. There's a present distress, and your physical relationships are not going to be the solution to all of your spiritual problems. Oh, how often I need to be reminded of that. And Paul just cuts through the noise, and he says, look, those who marry will have worldly troubles. They'll have more worldly burdens. It's a strange promise, but it's true. And Paul's saying something here to both the the single person and to the married person alike that each of us needs to hear, that changing your relational status is not going to be the end-all be-all solution for your soul. You know how often we get caught into that thinking, and I'm lonely, I just need to add the perfect person If I find the right person, then finally. And Paul's saying, yeah, those of you who've gotten married have recognized that's probably not the solution to all your problems. But equally to the married, I say, remain as you are because the solution to your problem is not changing that. It's changing this. The solution to something spiritual is not that physical change, that physical relationship. Paul's saying, be careful on this. Because if you think it's all about finding the right person, the person that'll share all of the right burdens, be careful. Paul's point, I think, in this is really simple and a needed reminder. In a time like this, where we're facing our own present distress. Paul's saying, hey, just because you both love Jesus doesn't mean it won't be difficult. Just because you both love Jesus doesn't mean it won't be difficult. Hey, this applies beyond marriage. I'm not just speaking to those who are married. I'm speaking to singles. I'm speaking to anyone who has a job and has coworkers. I'm speaking to anyone who has a neighbor. Like, like the 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 reality is this church early in their faith are finding suddenly that there's still struggles here. And Paul's saying, hey, just because you love Jesus, and maybe because you're in relationship even with someone else who loves Jesus, doesn't mean that there won't be friction. And don't allow that to, to blow up your worldview or even your, your faith view, your view, or your your faith in God and your hope in Him. The reality is relationships are hard. The reality is that doesn't mean that your relationship is wrong and you need to change it. That means your relationship is human. Hear me say that. Just because your relationship is hard doesn't mean it's wrong, it means it's human. You're an imperfect person living with an imperfect person. You're an imperfect person searching for an imperfect person. You're an imperfect person living next to or working for an imperfect person. Changing the relationship is not gonna solve all of your spiritual ails. I could very much relate to the church in Corinth in this. When I was single, I thought that the solution to a lot of my life was just finding the, the right spouse and especially as a young single man, solution to a lot of my my passions and desires was getting married, right? I mean, isn't that that the solution? And so I got married and thought, well, great. Now everything will work itself out, only to realize that she falls asleep on the couch every night at 9 p.m. Many times there's more TV watching on the couch than there was making out on the couch. And this I didn't understand because in my single brain, I thought this was gonna be the solution for all of my ails. In fact, the first couple of years of marriage were a massive butting of heads. I married someone who was very much like me, which I thought was a great solution to a problem I'd seen in all of my friends who had married people who were opposite them. I was like, ha not falling for that. So I'll marry another perfectionist just like me. Two perfectionists in a relationship does not make for peace. (laughs) Year one, rough. Year two, rough. Year three, rough. And we were still fighting like cats and dogs. And I found myself in the midst of seminary, studying to be a pastor, having a conversation with God late one night, saying, Lord, I've made a mistake. I think she's the wrong one. And I'd fallen into the myth of easy and I'd fallen right into the same question and conundrum that many in the Corinthian church were facing. That man, maybe the the relationship is the thing and maybe it's better not to be married or maybe it's better to be single and maybe single is more spiritual. And Paul's like, look, 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 however you came to faith, you remain as you are. Because switching that, switching that is not the thing what Paul's gonna slowly start pointing us to is that the key is an undivided heart to the Lord. Not not the chemistry here, but, but the relationship here. And God's grace here applied everywhere else is what moves us forward. And I had to learn the hard lesson that just because you both love Jesus doesn't mean it won't be difficult. I love the way that Gary Thomas puts it in a book he wrote called Sacred Marriage. Here he says, the irony of marriage is that you have two imperfect people coming together expecting a perfect result. Two imperfect people coming together expecting a perfect result. It's the irony and the conundrum of marriage. Paul's saying, hey, yeah, there, there is a struggle here and we don't discount that, but equally the solution is not that, the solution is beyond that. Now, at this point, you're thinking, well, this is a real downer. Where's the hope? Where's the, where's the encouragement? Where's the solution? I came to church to hear that relationships are hard. Suck it up, buttercup, I think is his point. <laughs> no. Consider now where Paul goes. Pick it up with me at verse 32. Hear, hear Paul's shepherd heart in this. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And the and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul's heart was to secure their undivided devotion to the Lord. So yeah, 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 but his solution for that, his solution was that, don't get married. The solution is that is that when you're married, you have an anxious heart and you think about all these other things. So isn't he just proving the point that maybe my relationship is the problem? No, no, no. Go back to what he said before. He's saying, hey, remain as you are saying, live, not focused on this world. That's what he meant by verses 29 through 31. When he says, those who have wives live as though they have none. Is he advocating then to bail? No, 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 because then he says, those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they have no goods. If you wanna advocate that Paul is saying you can leave your relationship if it's not working out, you also need to advocate that you gotta stop shopping then. He's saying, no, live in such a way where you understand that this world is not all there is. Live in such a way where your hope is not in the things here. Live in such a way and even shop in such a way where you're not putting your hope in goods. And be in a relationship in such a way where you're not putting all of your hope on a human person. He said, I want you to be free from anxieties But the key to being free from anxieties, Paul says, is not changing your relationship or your relational status, getting married to solve a problem or bailing to solve a problem. No, the key is having an undivided heart to God because only Jesus can solve the deepest problem of our soul. He says, instead, I want you to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. Again, don't misunderstand Paul. He's not advocating one way or another. In fact, Paul ultimately in his message in chapter seven is that, hey, relationships one way or another, it's really not an issue of moral or immoral. You can glorify God both as a single and a married person. And if you find yourself single right now, be devoted to God. If you find yourself married right now, be devoted to God stop looking at the things here and now to fix the deep things in your soul. Instead, I'm seeking to promote and to secure your undivided devotion to Jesus. And the goal of our lives then as Christians, as we begin this journey talking about relationships, is that no matter our status, we are pursuing an undivided heart before the Lord. Here's, if I were to summarize this I would say, look, your personal devotion to God is the single biggest determining factor in how you walk in relationship with others. Your personal devotion to God, your walk with God is the single biggest determining factor in your walk with others. God's ultimate goal for us then in this regard is not happiness here, it's holiness there. And he uses the things here to refine us and to sanctify us for a future that is far greater. But the myth of easy tells us that it's all now. The myth of easy tells us that if we're doing everything now and have the right person now, then, then this should be easier. And we fall into this myth when we say things like, it shouldn't be this hard. And oh, how often in the midst of conflict with my wife, I leave the room and I cry out to Jesus, it shouldn't be this hard. Because all of my attention and all of my expectation is outward across the table at somebody else. And Paul's saying, look, single or married, I'm trying to secure your undivided devotion to Jesus. Because when we begin from that starting point, then we actually get traction in all of our other relationships. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then what? All these things will be added to you. An undivided devotion to Jesus first. My wife likes to tell the story of when she moved to Pennsylvania and got the job at the college where we we met. And as she was working and in schooling, she got a job in this place thinking, I'll be around young people, and even more than that, it's a Christian college, I'll be around young Christian people, and I'll be in a Christian workplace, and this will be a dream. Only to discover that Christian workplaces have their own sets of issues. Because Christians are imperfect people. And she got a job working at a Christian college with a Christian staff, only to realize that her Christian boss had a lot of not-so-Christian tendencies sometimes. The reality is that in that moment, you start thinking through, well, I've taken the wrong job. I shouldn't have moved to Pennsylvania. Maybe it's better someplace else. The reality is all these many years in, every place we've gone, every Christian that we've met, every relationship we've been in, there's always, at some point, this little thread in the fabric that begins to pull. Oh, you see it that way? Man, so close. Oh, you vote for that party? Oh, man, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know if we can be friends. I don't even know if you love Jesus. Oh, and we trump all these things up on these horizontal relationships and put so much pressure And if we just find the right people who believe the right things and vote for the right party, then our relationships will be perfect. And Paul's saying, look, look, look. Now you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the only thing we can depend on. Because if you get married, you will have troubles. There are more anxieties in this. There is more burden. There are more things that you need to think through and responsibilities that you have to bear. That doesn't mean the relationship, just because it's hard, is wrong. It means the relationship, if it's hard, is human. And the answer to the human problem is Jesus. And Paul seeks to pull the church off then of bailing or running or seeking in order to fix, and instead, no, 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 eyes up. So what do we do with this? Come back to this, Simple adage that I've used in my life and I've shared countless times from this stage. Our simple posture in this as we go through this series is eyes up, not out. Eyes up, not out. A simple adage that I repeat to myself constantly. Eyes up, not out. I need this reminder when I'm in my marriage and there's friction in the marriage. Eyes up, not out. She's not the solution to my problems eyes up, not out. I need this reminder when I'm walking through a political season, eyes up, not out. This is not the kingdom. My hope is not here. I need this reminder when I'm walking through the office hallway and relationships even in the church aren't always fantastic, eyes up, not out. Jesus is the only one who has never failed me. Jesus is the only one who is never disappointed. Jesus is the only one who's been able to steer my desires and purify them and meet them in the greatest way. Jesus is the only one. And oh, how often I seek that from others. Oh, how often I put burdens on them that they were never intended and designed to carry or deliver. Eyes up, not out. Here's the thing, I think Paul would remind us and as he's reminding the church in Corinth, if if God can't complete you, then no one else will. No one else will. If a perfect God cannot meet your human desires, complete your human desires, satisfy your human desires, no other human will. He says, I'm seeking to secure your undivided devotion to Jesus keep our eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith. I had a very simple purpose in in launching the series in this way with a very simple problem I'm seeking to resolve. And so often in our world, we get so fixated on relationships as both the problem and the solution. And Paul wants to pull us off of that. Jesus is the solution. It'd be so easy for us to step into this series be like, husband, honey, you're coming with me to church. Pastor, fix him. Tell me how to do this. Tell me, tell me how to navigate online education right now with my kids. Tell me how to, how to manage this ache in my heart and the fact that he, he doesn't listen or, or she doesn't do this or, or they don't walk this way or my dad or my mom and this is how they navigate this. And all of these angst that's easy to come into these moments, looking out horizontally as though if we just fix that, if you say this to them, then everything in my life will be better. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Undivided devotion. Eyes up, not out. Because only Jesus. Only Jesus. So as we begin this series, I just ask that we begin in a posture of surrender. Can I ask that we take a moment here as a church and we lay before Jesus our hopes and our desires. We lay before Jesus our aches and our pains. We we lay before him maybe the the marriage that isn't perfect. We lay before him the the job that we're seeking, the promotion that we're needing, thinking that we deserve. We we lay before him all of these horizontal things that we focus on as though they will be solutions. And we turn and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. A God who will not disappoint. A God who is perfect. And we say to him, Father, if you, you, the perfect holy God of the universe, can't satisfy my soul, nothing else will. And so, Father, I begin here. Would you pray that prayer with me today? Father, we come before you and we lay our burdens before you. Some on the front side of this, God, desperate for solutions at home, desperate for solutions with friends or with family members, bearing the scars, Father, of their sin and decisions that they have made. We choose to remember today that, Father, your solution was sending Jesus. And so, Father, we surrender jobs, we surrender our children, we surrender our marriages. That these, Father, were not intended to be the solutions for our problems, the solution for our sin or our heartache. These are means that you are using to sanctify us and to draw us closer to you. So help us think of them rightly and treat them rightly, but most of all, Father, help us to put our full hope in you. So, Father, go before us and steer our hearts and direct our steps, that as we keep our eyes fixed on you, Father, would you show us how to walk in a right relationship with others, that you would be glorified in what we say and do and how we live and how we love, and we ask it in Jesus' matchless name. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.